Welcome to 2021. This is going to be such a great year. Our guest today is going to help us jumpstart our year. And anyone that knows me knows as a coach, I love to find tools that help us be more self-aware and understand ourselves. Our guest today is going to do that, not only with just a self-awareness tool, but to help us visualize it with color. Join us in just a few moments for this week's interview. Jessie has worked or served in 16 foreign nations, a seasoned business analyst with a strategic mindset, I love that word strategic, and a flair for adventure. She has operated in such industries as international logistics, NASA atmospheric sciences. You've got some words that are really difficult to say there. Wow, atmospheric logistics and cancer services. She holds a degree in global business from Regent University and is a certified facilitator of True Colors workshops and training. Jesse, welcome to Seek Go Create. Thank you so much. It's um, just a pleasure to be able to be on your show. Yeah, glad to have you here. So Jesse, my first question I like to ask, I gave you a little bit of prep for this, and that is, you know, we bump into each other somewhere. Maybe we're able to get close to each other. Maybe we're not. Maybe we're 10 feet apart. And I just happen to ask what you do. So I don't know if it's your elevator pitch or whatever you want to call it. We're networking. What do you do? Let the audience know what you do. Absolutely. Um, I am super passionate about helping people understand themselves and others through the design that God gave us, which is called our temperament. I use the analogy of colors to really kind of bring that out to a way that we can tangible understand. Um, it's amazing when we understand ourselves, how we can start to understand how we relate to God, how we relate to others, and how it completely can transform our lives. Yeah, I love that. I love the thought of the temperament. I have been in the coaching world for now probably longer than I should admit, 30 plus years. And so I've been doing personality profiles, temperament studies, personality, all those things. So I loved reading the book and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But there's something that I saw, I don't know if it was on your website or what, I don't know where I saw it, but I just really need to know what the connection is with you and the grand staircase on the Titanic. <laughs> did I see that right? You I mean, did, you and did. is he, is he, all right, here's, here's a quick, can we verify this or is this something that you could just say and we have to just trust you? <laughs> Give us the story. <laughs> so for Google's wise, you will have to trust me, but if you were to actually like research it, you could verify it. Um, so my great, great grandfather on, on my so my father's mother's side um, he actually was the um, carpenter that built the grand staircase on the Titanic he had been an amazing carpenter in England um, and he moved to the United States and when they started building this they actually said he's the guy we want and they called him back from the United States to come and to build the grand staircase Wow. So any behind the scenes stories you have, any artifacts, or is it just something that was passed along down your family of that knowledge of that? It's passed along. My family is a great storyteller. I actually didn't find out this story until four years ago. So I was like, what? What have you been withholding from me? <laughs> so, but yeah, it really was amazing. Apparently I had that great, great uncle who was a passenger on the Titanic and probably got the ticket from my great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather having been the architect on that. So. Okay, so I've got to back up here and I'm kind of scrolling so that I could find it. 
there is a line in the bio that I read, you know, the kind of our official bios and all, which they always sound awesome, right? You mentioned that you had a flair for adventure. <laughs> yes. Does does the lineage going back to a connection to the Titanic have anything to do with that? I know we're going to talk about temperaments in a little while and, you know, profiles and, and those things, but but we also know that we have a, a, a spiritual lineage. We're going to discuss that, I believe. And then we also have our, you know, our DNA, our earthly DNA that we have that I think all of those are mixed together. But is there something there with the Titanic and your flair for adventure, maybe? You know, interestingly enough, I kind of think that I, I get pieces of who I am, I think does get passed down. And um, I, well, I can't for sure say um, that that I will say that legend says in my family that all of his previous forefathers were bakers. And he decided he was not going to be a baker. And that's when he became a carpenter and he mentored under a carpenter in the area and became a fantastic carpenter. So that's legend. We don't have verifiable proof of that. Um, but I did also um, find out that through my mother's side lineage, and I just found this out on a recent trip, that um, a great, great grandfather, I guess three greats of mine was actually a uh, Jewish rabbi. And I was not even aware that I had a Jewish bloodline. So this has been kind of a, a time of discovery. And I have pieces from all different sides coming in, helping me to understand where my family came from. Wow. We've actually recently done some of the, the DNA testing. And I don't know how to say this, but it was less than exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, we were kind of hoping for some exotic you know, lineage that led through, I don't know, Middle East, other places like that. We, our people just hung out in an, in Europe <laughs> yeah. and, you know, we even wondered, you know, is there anything African continent? I mean, I'm, you know, we could say this, I'm very, very white. And so, and then, you know, we, our people never even went to other continents and all that. So, all right. So that's, that's cool, but you've got that going on. And then there's this other thing in your bio that says you worked or served in 16 foreign nations. And as travelers ourselves and people that we kind of even call ourselves nomads, tell us about that, how that came to be and what that was like. Sure. Well, so I, um, I actually came to Christ when I was 26 years old. So some of my travels started prior to that and some of them afterwards. And it's neat to kind of be able to see some of the differences, but some of the similarities in how I still travel. Um, so because I worked in international logistics, um, I was over all of the imports for North America, Central America, South America, and the West Indies. Um, and with that, I had to speak Spanish pretty well. Um, and so they would send me whenever we would deploy a new system to go train the users and I would go to um, throughout Central America, and it was all the countries nobody wanted to go to for vacation, of course. You know, I've, I've never been to the, the vacation ones yet. I'm working on that. Um, but I did get to go to some, some, some cool uh, West Indy countries. Uh, Trinidad was actually my very first, which was very interesting. There's the Trinidad and Tobago, if you know the country. It's actually one country, two islands, two names. Well, when you go on vacation, you go to Tobago. I didn't get to go to Tobago. I went to, I went to Trinidad, definitely not your vacation spot. Um, but I also got to hit up Barbados, so that was cool. Um, St. Lucia, different places. I still have amazing contacts in some of those, but I would work there for a week to two weeks at a time and then come back 
and then get ready to go train another one. So that was kind of how things got started. Um, and then I ended up, um, I ended up coming to know the Lord and um, the ministry I was with was a great discipling ministry. And they said, hey, we're going to India. Is there anybody who wants to come? And I felt very strongly like, yeah, I need to go to India. And so got on that trip. It was um, the pastoral team and one other individual and myself. We stayed with a family um, there. We went and we did ministry with their, their, um, their youth uh, uh, convention that they had going on. People came from all different places. And I've been able to really keep a lot of those relationships, which was amazing. Um, but I have to say my most adventurous one that wasn't quite even put together as an adventure, but became one, um, was I went around the world, literally circumnavigated the world in 20 days, um, no cell phone, by myself with a backpack. And so, and a couple other suitcases, I learned to pack a little lighter. <laughs> um, so I, I sponsor a child through Compassion International, actually two, but one of which I sponsor in Indonesia. And so I wanted to go and meet her. I just started sponsoring her. Um, and I said, I'm going to go out that way. I'm going to go to Indonesia and meet her. And so I had um, a friend who I had met while I was studying in Czech Republic um, during a period of time. And she was from Azerbaijan. So she happened to contact me and just before I was bought my tickets to Indonesia and say, hey, I'm getting married. Will you come to Azerbaijan and come to my wedding? And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so honored. Yes, this would be amazing. Um, well, it, most people don't know a lot about what it takes to go to Azerbaijan, but as a U.S. person, you can't just go. You have to have a visa, and you can't get a visa unless you have a formal invitation letter from somebody who lives there, and then, like, the visa I got was, like, four days. So, like, technically three days, but four days on dates. Oh, that was, like, the max. So, for anybody who doesn't know a lot about where that location is, it's smack dab between Russia and Iran. It's this teeny little country on the Caspian Sea, and so, um, Five years ago, six years ago, that wasn't exactly like where people were thinking they wanted to spend their like, you know, their four days. But I was like, man, it's going to be amazing. So I got a one-way ticket to Azerbaijan. <laughs> and then once things kind of started getting closer, I said, okay, now I got to get a ticket to, to Indonesia. Ended up going through Dubai and then Malaysia and then Indonesia. Um, and then from there, through flew through ta uh, Taiwan, uh, LA, and then back to Washington, D.C., where I had flown out of. And um, I, I know that we certainly don't have time to tell all of the stories on that, but I'll tell you, getting out of some of those countries and getting back into with visa situations was God-ordained blessed because there was no way that it should have worked out. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was in a time, you know, we're recording this in fall-ish of, not sure when the actual episode will release, but we're in fall of 2020 when the world has changed again it changes often but and travel it's kind of hard to even imagine doing that right now isn't it yes absolutely absolutely yeah. just because of what's going on because we've traveled also well that i actually and I, and we're going to go to talking about temperaments and and things related to your book but I believe that there's a stretching or an expansion that occurs when people travel. Totally. And I would love for you, and I'm just going to maybe kind of, kind of throw the softball over to you and let you hit it however and wherever you would like. Talk about the benefit. Listen, there, there are struggles with travel. There's no reason for us to go into it. Just getting in and out of countries is difficult. 
what to carry. We travel light also. Everything we own is in the RV that's right behind me here. And so we travel fairly light. But talk about the benefits of just going to other places, getting outside of our maybe our comfort zones of where we live, where we grew up and what people can learn and maybe even speak to someone who hasn't traveled much to encourage them. Is that, did I give you enough to kind of work with them? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, as you're describing that, you know, this kind of my dad, like he doesn't have a, a passport, like he's never been anywhere outside the United States, you know? Um, and I've just invited him to join me in two years to go on a trip to Southeast Asia. And he said yes, which to my amazement. Um, but you know, what it really speaks to is he knows he's seen what has happened to me from traveling and how I've been stretched, how I've been grown, what I've learned that I wouldn't have learned had I not. And you know, what it amounts to is talking to people who have lived in a completely different environment with completely different worldviews than we have. Um, you know, we think that this is how the world is and, and for our perspective it is, but when we go to another place, it's not about whether something is, um, truth or not truth. It's just literally about like, I know how I go and wash my clothes. I know how I go to the grocery store. I know what my customs are when you're walking down the street, but when you go to another country, it's, it can be a completely different story. Um, you know, I, I had, one of the things I did love about traveling by myself is that it would force me to talk to people. When you travel as a group, you'll notice that whatever your group speaks is what you'll speak. Whatever your group talks about is what you'll talk about. And you'll notice things, but you won't really engage as well, unless you're very intentional with the people and the, and the, and the culture around you. So if you are gonna travel as a group, which I highly recommend if you haven't done before, um, be intentional to try the foods. Um, be, be cautious. Don't go just, you know, eating all street food because sometimes your digestive system can't handle it. But, but try something that you've never tried before. Um, try to learn a few things in their language and try to converse that way. Try to ask questions of them about like, what does it look like when like, do you go grocery shopping? Do you have hot water in your house? You know, not like to be prying, but just to learn. Um, we think that hot water is standard, but most of the world doesn't have hot water. A lot of the world doesn't have running water. Um, and so, you know, these things that we take for granted as how people do life is not how most people do life. And um, it'll really not only make you value and appreciate what you have more, but it'll also give you a framework to speak from um, with a, a much larger knowledge base than you would have had before. Yeah, that's, that's good. And I, I had a follow-up question, but I think I want to ask this first. Before we hit record, you mentioned that you're currently in Nashville, but you were from Maine because we were, I was trying to see if we were going to need a translator since I'm originally from the <laughs> South. I, hopefully we're doing okay. But you mentioned you were originally from Maine, which that's also something that we don't often run across. Let's just say that there's not a lot of people that say I'm from Maine. So tell us a little bit about growing up in Maine. I don't know how long you were there. I don't know if you're there just formative years or for a long time. If your family's still there, I think you said they might be in the Northeast. And what I like to ask, and I'm, I know I'm piling on here, but I like to let, I like to let you speak at length is, you know, maybe one of the best things from growing up there and maybe one of the challenges from growing up wherever you grew up. So tell us about that. Absolutely. You know, I grew up from in a very small town in Maine. Um, the entire school was elementary, so kindergarten through eighth grade, less than 200 students. 
um, and that was for the entire town. Um, we had one stoplight and it got put in when I was around six. <laughs> um, and it was out in front of the Walmart because we didn't have Walmart either until- And it, it was know. a big deal. Did y'all, did everybody just kind of stand around and watch the stoplight being put in or? Well, we were like, okay, we have to stop for Walmart. Like, this is weird. Like, <laughs> and I guess it probably wasn't until I was more like 10 because Walmart wasn't there until then. But yeah, no, I, um, you know, I grew up in, um, my parents didn't have a lot of money. Okay, my parents didn't have any money. <laughs> um, I They had a trailer that they had towed in and half of it was probably falling off. And then they built on sides and they built on an addition. The entire place was heated with a wood stove that my dad actually cut the wood to put in the wood stove and then sold some. Um, and we didn't have running water until I was um, six years old actually. And so we had in Maine, a metal pump out in front of our house that you'd take a bucket to and you'd pump it like you see in the old fashioned um, uh, farms. Uh, so in the winter time, you made sure you're wearing a glove, otherwise your hand would freeze to <laughs> the handle. And you'd take that inside and then you'd heat the water over the wood stove to get hot water for baths and things that my mom would put in a big metal bucket. Um, my, my original bedroom was actually over in the bathroom because we didn't have a bathroom because we didn't need a bathroom. We had an outhouse because we didn't have running water. So we had bunk beds built over our tub. Um, and that's where my sister and our bedroom was. So like we had a very different life than what you would expect in the United States in this, you know, these centuries. And so one of the things I would say though, is that that's not common life in Maine. A lot of people have running water. <laughs> Most people do. Most people have, you know, um, uh, things inside their houses um, and live in regular houses. <laughs> um, but, you know, my dad, he was like kind of a minimalist and on top of not having a lot of finances, they just did with what they had. And so that's how I grew up. Little did I know that my, my, that my one day God, who I ended up coming to know in such an amazing way, was actually preparing me from the time of birth to be able to meet and work with my husband who came from a rural village in Guatemala with a very similar structure and even more poverty. I would have never seen that coming, right? Um, but you know, I was there until I was 14 years old um, and we had a whole farm. We, we, had, we had our own chickens, we had our own, my mom spun wool at a spinning wheel which, you know, the, the circle thing, you know, the prick your finger, you know, thing. <laughs> and, and she still knows how to do that and like who knows, one day that might come back again. I would love to be able to spin well. Um, so those are great memories, even though it was probably trying times for my parents. But for me, that was just life. You know, so I got older. You, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, one quick question related to that. Um, there's a lot of that. First of all, your dad was minimalist before minimalist was cool. Because, right. you know, we can, it's like minimalist is like a real thing now. Right. And, um, <laughs> but I'm always intrigued, you know, it kind of it goes along with our 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 kind of an underlying theme with our show, which is redefining success, especially first world success versus actual success versus you know, whatever, however we define it. Did you, because I know that the way we're raised many times can, can train us with how we interact with money and possessions. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious and we'll keep going, but I'm just curious at this stage, were you aware of the differences between the way you were growing up versus say, I know you're in a small school, so you may not have seen a lot of it. And I know you, I know there was television and things like that. I mean, you know, we, we, we're not going to act like, you know, you were, you know, 
somewhere secluded. But I guess were you aware of the differences between the way you were growing up, which was much simpler than others? I mean, running water, I, 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 I'm not going to ask your age, but I can tell that you're most likely younger than me which means that running water was fairly prevalent in most parts of the world in the 60s, 70s, even the 50s and beyond before then. So anyway, well, talk about the awareness of you. I mean, was it anything where you kind of said, no, I'm not going to live that way. I want this. It doesn't sound that way to me. And I think it wasn't, you know, my age, um, I, I was very content to be playing in the rocks in the driveway and the sticks in the woods. I mean, I love my, my mom got us, uh, well, I, I got a, a pony when I was five. And so my pony was like the coolest thing in the world. And you had you know, a pony. Um, it's like, you I really had a pony. Had a pony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, I told my mom when I was four, I wanted a pony. She goes, oh no, you can't have a pony. You're too little. You have to be at least five to have a pony. Well, I didn't forget that. And like, when I turned five, I was like, mom, you said when I was five and she's like, oh my gosh, I never expected her to remember that. And now I'm like, I've sucked myself into this. So <laughs> But yeah, for me, I thought it was, you know, fine. What I didn't know though, is that my friends didn't. And so I was about to run into a very major divide that really kind of turned my life a little bit upside down. Um, because when my friends would come over, they were not okay with how I lived. I didn't know that it was a problem. Um, and so eventually they stopped coming over and I didn't know why. Um, and then um, between that and my parents um, coming into a decision to divorce when I was six, those not making friends and that situation um, kind of took my happy little world and, and flipped it on its head. Um, and so really, you know, you talk about what are the struggles from where I grew up and one of the struggles was that it was a small town. Um, and so I grew in with an, kind of a bit of a little bit of anger and that kind of snowballed and people stopped liking me. Well, once you lose friends in a small town, like there's nobody else to go make friends with. Like, that's it, you know? So I was there until I was 14 and most of it was friendless. And I remember I would cry because I had no friends. And I would get, you know, I got welcomed in by some people, but they weren't friends. They were people that were doing the good things and they will welcome anybody. <laughs> and so um, I knew they weren't real friends. And I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to break out. And in the time that I said, you know, this isn't okay, I need to change was when I was, I was in eighth grade and I said, mom, I said, I want a fresh start. I want to be able to do good in my life. And I can't do that here. And she took me really seriously and she moved myself and my sister and her, and they went to Virginia where my grandmother lived. Um, and my life started over and it was really, um, I'm really grateful that a lot of times, you know, when a kid says something like that, you know, it's like, you know, what do you, you don't usually move because of a child, but I'm really glad she did. And I think that it was a very good thing. Yeah. So, um, so some foundational things occurred when you were in Maine that were obviously positive, negative, and, and that's everybody, everybody has that yeah. situation. And so, so you moved along in your development at what stage did you begin the work you were doing, which is, uh, you know, the, international logistics, 
the big words I mentioned earlier, atmospheric sciences and things like that. So obviously that moves into your collegiate and, and, and other things that you got from your degree at Regent and things like that. Tell us a little bit about that because Absolutely. I'm really, here's what I'm wanting to do. Let me tell you exactly what I'm doing so that there's no, what's his motive. It, when someone writes a book about temperaments, I want to understand a good bit about their temperament and their background because I'm going to ask some tough questions in a, in a little bit about the temperaments and things because I've gone on a lot of evolution and roller coasters with my thoughts and theories about it. So I don't know if you're excited or you're shaking. Uh, either way, you're going to have fun with it. But uh, so tell me about that stage where you're learning and moving into maybe your assignment and what, what the Lord has for you to do with your life. And, and then we're going to get to the book part. Absolutely. You know, this is really exciting um, question and answer for me because I really want people to listen because no matter what they think their plan is, God has a plan for you. Okay. And so I was working for a dentist's office and I got laid off. I couldn't actually, might've been fired, but it wasn't fired for good reason. So I said laid off. <laughs> it just sounds better. I was in a transition. I was like moving right. from one place to another. It's like, hmm. I was young and moving on to my next assignment. So, um, I had been out of work. I needed something. I was getting desperate. So I'm just going to go to the temp agency. I just need something to hold me over. So I went to the temp agency. They had nothing in the medical field. So I said, I'll take whatever you have. And they gave me a two-day paper pushing job with a logistics company in the collections department. I said, whatever, I'll take it. <laughs> it's something. So I got there. But what did I do? I pushed that paper with excellence. I moved those things through so fast. They're like, can you stay for three more days? I was like, three more days of money. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I just kept on doing that. But what it was, was they saw the excellence in my service. And when we read the Bible, like God tells us to serve in excellence. He doesn't just say, go serve your church in excellence. He doesn't just go say, serve in your ministry. He says, serve in excellence. This isn't everything you do, right? I didn't even know the Lord yet, but I was operating in his principles. And when we operate in his principles, they work, they work. They're his principles. So what happened was they ended up saying, hey, come join our customer service department. So I joined their customer service department. They had no training documentation. I ended up learning it and then saying, I'm going to build on for the next people. So I created their training, department, uh, training uh, program, not because I got paid to do it, but because it didn't exist. And I saw a gap and I said, this needs to happen. Well, then they started developing their own system for like a software system for this. It's a huge third, the third largest um, uh, logistics company in the world owned by France, right? A company in France. And, um, and so they were just developing their own system. I was working the system. I kept finding the bugs because I'm this customer service person, right? So there's this, this IT role that opened that said, Hey, we need somebody to fill this. I said, well, I've never done IT before, but I know your system. So I applied for it. So don't be afraid to jump and, and, and reach for things because the worst that somebody can say is no. And no doesn't actually set you back. No just says it wasn't your door and that's okay. And so I reached for it. They said, why should we hire you? I said, because I know your sister and I'm giving you good ideas anyway. <laughs> and so they hired me. What I they didn't know is that about two months earlier, before I even knew God through Jesus, I believed there was a God. I went out on my back porch. I looked up and I said, I wish I could just 
tour the world with a backpack and a dime in my pocket, but I took the responsible course and here I am stuck. Then I get hired to this position. Within a month, they are paying me to go to all these countries and teach the software, literally watching this prayer answered. But it's not with a dime in my pocket and a backpack on my back. They're paying me for, to sit in nice hotels, to be picked up in nice transportation, eat at the restaurants that are my choice restaurants, like amazing things that I never, ever thought. And this was literally months, months after this prayer. Then fast forward, I get recruited to work at NASA, which was across the river, because I put a resume on Monster. Remember those days when Monster was cool, right? And, and you know, said, one thing one thing I have to interrupt here is like, yeah. you know, you kind of just roll that off. You know, I got recruited to work at NASA, and it's kind of <laughs> one of these things I always, I'm, I'm kind of chuckling because, you know, these memes that go around, every great story starts with, you know, three guys walk into a bar or, you know, a funny, a funny thing happened or, hey, watch this. And then it's kind of like, I'm like ready for like, go. So I get recruited by NASA. All right, <laughs> now continue. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But it was like, it was so, I put this resume out on Monster and I said, hey, I'll do, you know, I'll pick up technical writing assignments. I get called by the recruiters for the company that worked on the NASA campus for their work. I said, hey, we want you to write an operational document for us. I said, sure, no problem. So I go in, I'm ready to get the specs. That's this meeting is to go get the specs for the document they want me to write. I walk in the door, I'm greeted by two people and they say, hi, come on in. Well, before we get started, they say, we've looked at your resume and we've decided that we don't want you to write documents for us uh, on the side um, as a, as a uh, contract. And I'm thinking, okay, then why am I here? <laughs> they say, we want you to come work for us full time permanently. Oh, and this is why you want to work for us. And they spent the next hour telling us how great it, telling me how great it was to work there. And oh, by the way, how much would you like to make? So I said, oh my gosh, I've never been asked this question before. So I doubled what I was making and gave him a number. And he said, I think we can make that work. I was like, okay. I'm trying to like inside, I'm going boom, right? But like, I, I mean, this was an environment and a situation that I like never even heard of, you know? And so I left that meeting going, I don't know if this is real or not, but if it is, I'm all in. And if it's not, boy, that was weird. <laughs> wow. But it was, it was real. They hired me and within a week, I heard the, I had just gotten, I just given my life to the Lord by moving over to that side of the water. And within a week after giving my life to the Lord, my manager walked out the door of his office. And I don't know if you've ever heard the voice of God come through somebody and you just knew that that wasn't that voice of that person, but that was the Lord. He spoke, he said, it's time for you to go back to school. By the way, I had not had a degree at that time. I had no degree. I had wow. started school, ended up having to drop out because of, because of a back injury. And, and so I said, wow, okay, I'll, I'll go to school. And that's when I ended up finding Regent and started school. So I was literally in the midst of my career when I took on uh, full-time school while I was full-time in work. And, and I did my degree while I was working on my career. Wow, that's impressive. I, I was sitting here writing down four words that I was going to, this could be a tough question. I, I, I feel very confident that you could handle this question. 
one of our sub themes or really our main theme with with what we do here is we we talk a good bit about redefining success because there's a definition of success that many people have society has culture has and we've already talked about different cultures and how that stretches us but I think I think redefining success would be cool for me to ask about right now. And also, I'm going to kind of throw things into it like when we have expectations in life, because it sounds like, listen, I'm, I'm all for goals. I'm all for, you know, writing things down, write the vision down, all those things. But my guess is none of that happened with you here from the story. Now, unless we're missing some things, but you you sort of got fired. Let's go ahead and call it like maybe you got fired. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks later, you're working with excellence, which doesn't make sense for someone to be fired that also works with excellence. So so let's talk about redefining success. And you also said there was during a time in there, I may be getting the logistics wrong, but that you that you came to the Lord and you lifted up a prayer and said, Lord, I need something. So redefine success, expectations, and answered prayer and unanswered prayer. Talk about those as it relates to this whole thing you've just woven for us. Does that make sense? Did I give you too much to go there? Can you work with that? I, yeah, I think I can kick it off. Uh, you know, I think that I'm going to kind of break it into two parts a little bit because um, one, one side is the, the, the answered prayers and unanswered prayers. And, and I really want to start with something that I don't think is a way that we think about um, our walks with the Lord, particularly in the first world of churches. Um, I think that a lot of people think that um, it's not until we give our lives to Christ and we start doing everything that, that God can do anything with us. But what, what happens when we look back at how Jesus told people to come with him, he didn't go to the, the fishermen on the side of that, the, the water that day and say, believe in me, and then you can follow me. He said, follow me. And they believed along the way. And so when we talk about that walk with God, a lot of times he says, follow me, before we even actually know that we're following him towards that place where we're going to say, God, I'm, I'm yours. And I, I watch how if I unravel my life, he was courting me along the way and taking those pathways and closing certain doors for me to route me along a path that would get me to where he is. And I think if we're, we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us can say that, you know, particularly if the, for those of us get maybe get saved later in life, you know, like, wow, like look at the pathway that I had to meander down. But if that door that I had prayed open had opened, I would have missed what I really was supposed to come towards, you know? And so those unanswered prayers, you know, if we already know the Lord, then we can already appreciate that. Hey, if, if that door is not opening, like this, because he's, he's got something else for me, you know, when we don't know the Lord, everything's blind, except for what we are in right now. There's no, like, I know the future thing, you know? So f before that, I was like, I had no idea that in two weeks, God had a, a door that was opening for me. When I said, God, like, I, I mean, I just believe that there's somebody up there and that you're in charge of stuff. And I just wish that this would happen. And, and he had put that in my heart. 
because he had a plan for me. It, I don't, I, I think that, it, you know, sometimes we think, hey, the scripture, it says, you know, that he'll give us the desires of our hearts. You know, we want to be like, oh, well, I'm going to have a desire for a really nice sports car and like, God, you can give it to me because it's a desire of my heart. But I think if we look at that almost transverse to he is the one that's going to give the desire into our heart and then manifest it, right? And so I've seen that so many times in little ways and a few big ways that I can't say for sure, but I would say based on knowing him now and based on his patterns that he put that prayer into my heart so that I'd watch him fulfill it. And that would draw me closer and closer to trusting him. Yeah, that's so I know good. That that and it's almost, it's almost like our, our, our heart becomes his heart. Yeah. And one quick thing before you finish, I think, because I like to give multiple part questions and you're about to get to the other part, which I appreciate, is I wrote down the word Peter when you said, you know, he never said, believe in me. He said, follow me. And I wrote down Peter because Cephas or Peter, we all know he followed for three years and even then still had some issues beyond and was still working out his relationship with Christ and how yeah. he perceived and understood. And he was with him for three years. So we, we are all, thankfully there's mercy and there's grace. So Amen. All right, now, now continue with the question. Sorry, I just wanted to interject because Peter came to my mind when you said that. Please. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, you, you, you asked about success, right? And you asked about kind of the, the definition and defining what that really means. And I think, you know, I, I, was, on, I was interviewed on the radio many years ago, and the, the person was asking me about um, to, to share with the audience how important it was to have a degree. <laughs> I felt really uncomfortable about that question because I didn't have a degree at the time. And I'm like, <laughs> I know what you want me to say. I know I work at NASA, so that's cool. And you think I have a degree, but so I said, well, you know, education is really important because what I really intended by that statement was that we don't get all of our education from college. We get our education from from school, but also from life experience. We get it from failures. We get it from successes. We get it from what we read online. We get it from what we hear on the radio. Our education is actually poured into us. And then what we go seek is an additional portion of that. And so educating ourselves is so important. Like the one thing that I live by is never stop learning because there is so much that no matter how much we continue to learn, there is still more to learn. Um, and the more that we can understand, the more that we can be a resource for people and that connects us to people and connecting to people is something I know we're going to talk a lot about. And so when it comes to success, you know, my success will certainly not be somebody else's success because we're on different paths, but can I look back and say that I have taken every opportunity that I believe I was supposed to take? If the answer is yes, I'm closer to success. Have I, can I look back and say, I have helped the people I feel like I was supposed to help? If my answer is yes, I feel like I'm closer to success. If I look back on my life though, and I feel it's empty, I've missed all the opportunities that I think I should have taken. I haven't reached out and helped the people that I think I should have helped. Like there's all a big deficit of success there. And I don't care how much money somebody has or how much education somebody has if they don't feel like they have gone out and done the things that have been presented to them that they were supposed to do, that's a deficit of success in my opinion. 
Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't, and I hadn't originally planned to ask that. Actually, there's very few questions that I've asked so far that I plan to ask. Mm-hmm. ask. So, so we're on a roll here. Let's do this. There's, gosh, there's so many things that I was going to ask, but I want to get to color by design because uh, there were three words that jumped out at me when I was reading something about you, camels, canoes, and culinary. Did you notice what I did there, putting those together <laughs> there? So, can you say a quick sentence or two before we move into, to the, we've got camels, canoes, culinary, and color. So let me go ahead and tie all of that together. <laughs> so that'll be our order here real quick. Hit it, hit it, and let's move forward. Absolutely. So I kind of semi- lived at a zoo for a very short time when I was a kid and there was a camel named Jerrica. Wait, um, hold on, stop, I, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you can't just say I sort of lived at a zoo. That's like, you know, and so, you know, NASA, I can't just like, <laughs> what do you mean you sort of lived at a zoo? So my mom had a long-term relationship with a zoo manager who lived in the apartment there. So I spent a lot of time at the zoo. Um, and so I didn't ever think of myself as a camel person. Um, and it wasn't until after I became a camel person that somebody randomly mailed me a picture of me and the camel from that zoo and I was like oh my gosh it was meant to be um so I kind of love camels okay so I like really love camels in a really like don't worry it's not like a weird thing but I like love camels like how you like love your best favorite cat or dog like that's how I love camels so like I just want to snuggle them um and so this has not been my life's thing right this actually didn't happen until like four years ago I was on a road trip with my two kids. I took them to this like random zoo off like 81 and there was like four camels. The crazy thing was my kids were deathly afraid of the, of the goats, wouldn't go near them. But when we got to the camels, they were all about it and like touching them. And like, I'm like, oh my gosh. And like, I fell in love with camels in that moment and it never left. I think it's a God thing. I'll probably have a camel farm one day. Who knows? <laughs> so, and I'm sorry, one more quick question is, and, and you could give this a one word. Was it really, really cool to sort of live at a zoo or was it like not really that cool? It was really, really cool. We actually okay. raised painful tiger, tiger cubs in the apartment uh, for like five months. So. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. We're getting off track here. All right. Canoes and culinary, then color. Yes. So everybody has a place of peace, right? And so if you don't know what that is, I just challenge you to go out and try new things and find it. For me, it's being on a quiet water in a canoe or a kayak. Like I can just, even saying it, I can feel the peace just come over me. That That's my place of peace, you know? Um, I'm a half introvert extrovert. And so that's my introvert place. Um, and then um, culinary. Well, I've just kind of always liked to cook. I learned from guys. So I didn't learn any of my cooking skills from women, which is kind of neat. Um, and I can pretty much put together anything. And I like wing it. like. I can go from a recipe, but I never follow it. And it, oh, well, it usually comes out right. There's very few that I won't give people to eat. And there's, yeah, so <laughs> I love to cook. <laughs> My wife does too. I appreciate and I take advantage of it. I, this is probably bad to say, I eat just to kind of keep going. And fortunately, I have her around to kind of help out with that. So anyway, but I'm always intrigued on how things fit together. All right, let's transition to color by design. I want to read the subtitle here because I think it's important. What you do, what, why you do what you do, think what you think, and care about what you care. 
So tell us a little bit about the formation of the book, why it came to be, and then we're going to kind of go into some of the details and kind of teach some people some things. We're going to recommend they get the book, of course, but so how'd the book come about? Why? Why the book? <laughs> Absolutely. So this is the book itself. So you have an image and essentially, um, I had, while I was working for a hospital company, um, they really invest in their employees. And one of the things they feel is very important is that their teams work together as teams. Instead of calling it, um, their employees employees, they actually call them colleagues. And that's very intentional for their culture because they want everybody to understand that you're part of this process. You're not just somebody here doing a job. And so they had us take this session called True Colors. And so I was really never into the whole temperament or, or personality testing, right? I mean, I did Myers-Briggs and it told me great things about myself. It was really accurate, but like, then what do you do with it? And I'm such a logical person that if like, there's no then what, I kind of like, okay, that's enough. You know, I, I did it once, I don't need to do it again. Um, so they really said, you know, we want everybody to do this. I went to the class, they had us fill out the assessment and then they had us get into our groups based on what our assessment said. And so I went to the green table because that was my leading color. Well, then she started, um, the facilitator started asking us questions for us to answer in each of our groups. And when the table, the people at my table started answering, it was literally as if they were in my head. I was like, you are answering this verbatim the way that I would have said it. And I was just, I was blown away in two ways. Number one, like this thing is like really, really accurate. But number two, for the very first time in my entire life, I didn't feel weird. I always felt like an outsider, but sitting at that table for the first time, I felt like I made this way on purpose and I actually belong. Like this is, I'm supposed to be like this. And there was so much freedom in that. And then I realized that like, gosh, this is something that people need this. This is more than just an assessment. This is something that literally can transform somebody's life. And so I asked to get certified. They certified me and I started running these workshops in corporate environments. The funny thing is though that, you know, like I couldn't just provide this facilitated um, workshop to everybody, right? There's only me and, you know, however there are many facilitators out there. And it wasn't just helping me at work. It was helping me in every area of my life. I said, I need to get this in the hands of everybody. And the best way to do that is to write a book on it. I didn't actually know I was going to be writing a book until, so I'm going to like dive into something kind of personal. So for like a whole year, God used to talk to me a lot while I was on my knees. Now, a lot of people think that means praying. No, for me, I was cleaning my floors. Um, on my knees, cleaning my kitchen floor. And every time I'd get down there and be scrubbing, God would like speak to me. And I'd be like, okay, Lord, this is my spot. Apparently I'll just like clean a lot more. Um, and so one day, literally out of nowhere it was like it dropped he's like you're gonna write a book i was like i'm gonna write a book okay i'm gonna write a book but there was nothing else with it so i was like what am i gonna write a book on <laughs> and so later as i was drawing the kids bath like it just occurred to me i'm like i'm gonna write a book on true colors of course i am this is how to get it out there and it just like it was instantly like reaffirmed in my spirit that that's exactly what i need to do and I started, I set out a, a plan and I said, I'm going to write through this time period. These are my, going to be my, my time of the day, the day that I write. I'm going to be off on this day and this day, not going to write on those days, give myself a break each week. And I committed to my plan and I saw it through. And within nine months from the date that 
um, I said, said, I'm going to write a book to the date that it was published was nine months. It was like my baby. And the funny thing was that when I started writing, I had a, a one and a half year old and a three month old at home. And I was literally on my first day back at work from maternity leave. <laughs> wow. So you, so you did not have massive amounts of extra time or free time. Uh, there, you know, free time's like a myth, right? Free time is what you make of it. If you, if you prioritize something, you've, put it in your time. There's no time that's actually free. <laughs> well, one thing I wrote down here is if, uh, if you want to hear from God and write a book, you need to clean your floors on your knees and draw your kid's bath. Cause that's obviously Absolutely. When, you doing, <laughs> when you were getting some inspiration and doing some talking there. So, all right, so let's do this so that the listener can go along with the conversation, give an overview of what the colors do and generally are. It's interesting. I'm an engineer by training and I have done personality profiles. I've given them, done disc, all of those, taken them multiple times, taught it, all of those things. And the colors is one that I have not been a part of that much. And I'm also wondering is if my my temperament doesn't, doesn't sit well. I mean, I'm not really visual. I am not really colors. I mean, my, my children, my family jokes, I wear black shirts all the time and, and I don't really believe in fonts. If it's not times new Roman, or we call it Tim's new Roman, why, what's the point? So, so I don't know. I don't know if the, the colors analogy or the colors references help for certain temperaments even, but give us an overview. You could explain that. You could say, no, Tim, you're wrong. They're there for everyone, but maybe some, it ministers to them more. So give us some origins of the, uh, the colors and what they mean. Absolutely. So when it comes to the colors, kind of just giving a background, like the science behind this, and it's, it's true science, um, it, it's not new. Um, you know, it really goes back all the way. You know, a lot of people are familiar with Myers-Briggs. It's kind of a middle of the road. It's like it, the science had been done for a while. They came out with that, and then there's more science, right? And so things like you mentioned DISC, and there's a number of other ones. These all come from the same science. And so if it's applied right, and, and there's not any nuances in, in the language and how it's administered, they, they can give you an accurate result. The biggest difference, though, that when we break into the, the true colors, the, um, the colors pieces that, what do you do once you get the assessment? What do you do with that? And that's what I loved about this. So I'm going to break it down to four colors, okay? So it's blue, green, orange, and gold. <clears throat> and so each one of these colors has um, a particular set of attributes and things that people, how they think, um, why they do things, their motivations, their needs. What, what is um, very important to understand is that no person is a single color. Everybody is a spectrum of colors, but you're gonna lead with the brightest color. You're gonna have your primary influencing color. Your next influencing color may be up front and be very much an influencing color or maybe way down the spectrum which means it doesn't influence as strongly. And then you're going to have your palest color, which you kind of got to dig to be able to like do something with. So when we do, when we talk about this, so it's important to know what our brightest color is and our influencing color, because it's really going to be the, the factors of why we do what we do. Um, and, and so when you say things like, you know, you like black shirts, you like to have things, um, you know, your, your times in Roman, Tim's in Roman, um, you probably like 
the consistency of your simplicity that you know your RV, that there's not any like expect, unexpected things. You probably don't like a lot of change in your life. You like to know the plan. Um, and you probably keep a great schedule. <laughs> um, and so this speaks to me that you probably have a very high gold um, because gold is the one that, you know, they, they don't like a lot of change. Change is uncomfortable. Um, they're fine with, um, you know, exploring as long as there's a plan for the exploring and um, they know, you know, what's going to kind of happen along the way. Um, golds are going to be um, great for like those things that are black and white. So rules, they are typically rule followers. Um, they are typically the ones that will help keep other people accountable to rules. Um, they also um, are, I guess, when it comes to um, that one completely escaped me, but essentially um, what it amounts to is like they're, they're, they're the organized people. Okay. And so that, that, um, would, that would be pretty accurate. I love control. Uh huh. But you're right. We like to plan. One of the things I have learned is that when we don't have a plan, like we're, you know, within a pandemic, we had planned on, you know, traveling and doing things and we kind of got locked in. We weren't sure what was going to go on. So, so that was interesting. I will tell you, I'm a rule breaker, so I don't necessarily fit with that. Um, a lot of the rules they're attempting to implement right now with all that's going on in the world, I would be one that doesn't participate very well in those. <laughs> and maybe it's because I don't like being told what to do. It's might maybe a little out of control for me. So, so yes, you're pretty dead on about 85% there. That would then be your influencing color. So whatever your goal, your, your goal may be leading, but your influencing color is going to come right in and shake things up a little bit, which is why it's important to know your whole spectrum. And so let me ask you about your rule breaking, because this is going to be kind of a little bit of a tell. Do you tend to break the rules because you need that, uh-uh, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want. Plus, it's fun to break the rules a little bit. Or is your rule breaking because of the logic side that kicks in and you're like, logically, that, that doesn't make sense, so I'm not going to follow that. I would lean towards the logic Okay. Because, you know, we'll, gosh, I guess we can get controversial right here. I, I am not a huge fan of wearing masks and it might be a little bit rebellious, but it's also just some data I've studied and I don't, I think we're hoping something works and it doesn't. So yeah, maybe a little bit of both. How about that? Okay. okay. Well, I'll have to have you take the assessment and you tell me. <laughs> okay. That's good. That sounds good. <laughs> So, but yeah, so, you know, kind of going into the other colors, you know, the, the yeah. orange is the one that is the rule breaker. They're the ones that are like, Hey, let's go have some fun. Cause everything for orange is about the fun, the sparkle, the big, the bang. They love to be the, you know, the I, I think when I, I think when I read, I was thinking I was in that gold orange area when uh -huh. I was reading through. So you're probably correct. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So, you know, they don't like to have a schedule necessarily. They like to be able to kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Um, but you know, like every color has so many good qualities and then they also have the shadows, which are the things that maybe in other people's perspective don't look so good, you know? So, so how we look at whether or not this is a good thing is really going to be like, how's it, how's it used? Right. And so, uh, when we go into the green, so they're the logical ones, they're the, you know, they, they want to know stories based on data. 
Um, they want to understand kind of the big picture of things, be able to break that down into the parts. They want to know the data, but not, they don't want to get too deep into it. They, that stresses them out. They need to be at the higher level data. They'll dive in just enough to know it, but then get back right back out. Um, but like they take emotion out of the decision making. Um, they're really ones to, you know, they, when it comes to like spending and stuff, it's kind of neat because each color spends differently. Um, but when it comes to spending, you know, they're fine with spending a, a little bit of money for something that's a good quality, but they're not going to go spend even like smaller amounts of money on something that's kind of, you know, going to break and not, not any good. Um, and then you've got your blues and they're the relationship builders. They're the, like, my friends are my family. They're the, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. Like there's this connectedness in them that is, um, just really, um, kind of awesome. I, I am not a high blue, so I just really value that so much when I see it in other people, um, because I can play on it, you know, and, and I can let it come out of me in ways that I don't naturally generate. So, but yeah, they're the ones that like, you know, they, they tend to wear their emotions on their sleeves. Sometimes they say, you know, they feel like maybe, you know, they get too, um, compassionate or empathetic, but really like that's a gift. And so being able to kind of manage that as a gift is, is a beautiful thing as well. Yeah, that, all right, great description there. I wanted to, there's a couple things that I wanted to do here, and I've actually got my highlights from from the book here that I'm looking. Yeah, I, I think I highlighted a lot of orange stuff and gold when I was going through it. I, the one thing about me on the blue, though, is that I do love to connect. I'm kind of a connector. Yeah. But not necessarily the emotional portion of it. And it's kind of a funny thing. I mean, obviously we live in an RV, but we like to plan our spontaneity. So that's kind of, a, you <laughs> know, we, we like to plan that out. There were, and I, I guess this is maybe a little bit more foundational items before I get into a few other questions. There were about four or five books that to me were classics that you referenced as sort of things you used. One was... Uh, let's see here. You've got Strengths Finder, Five Love Languages, Crucial Conversations, and then one of my all-time favorite books, How to Have Confidence and Power in Dealing with People. And those were kind of four books that were in your, I guess, your bibliography. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you don't have to mention any one of them or anything like that. But that's kind of an interesting combination that you kind of referenced that you pulled into how did that came come to be and and those books kind of an interesting combination there yeah well you know when it comes to looking at our colors like this is a makeup of who we are right and so we're going to want to understand who we are when we're dealing with people in love areas we're going to want to understand who we are when we're understanding our strengths so we can go out and do amazing things in corporate america or whatever we're called to do right we want to understand um uh, for like when we're talking with people, oh, the colors is really about who we are and who we are is about how we communicate. And so when we're communicating, being able to communicate in a way that the other person from another color spectrum can receive that is really, really important. So when we know our colors, we know their colors, then we can apply these the lessons from these other books in much more powerful ways than we can do without understanding our colors first. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. I love all the all those books. We'll probably include in the notes too. But uh, all right, so I did an interview. I think it I think it released back in June with Dr. Benjamin Hardy, and he wrote something that kind of irritated me. He had a book called Personality Isn't Permanent, and he basically was blasting 
all of the, I call them temperament or personality profiles. And, and I was like, I was really irritated by it. I'm not going to give the punchline on it, but I'm going to ask you, do you see any downside with people being labeled certain ways with any, any of these, but, it's, but specifically let's talk about the, the colors that you have. What, what could be a negative that someone could take from these? I've got some thoughts, but I'd love to hear it from you. Yeah. You know, I, I think the first part, and this is with any knowledge, not just colors, when you know it just enough to be dangerous, that can go for karate, that can go for politics, that can go for anything. You know it just enough to not have the context to be able to speak to it fully, and you start making assumptions to fill in the rest of your knowledge base. Because as people, we want a picture, right? And so if we only have six puzzle pieces to a 20-piece puzzle, we're going to fill in what we don't know, and that can be dangerous. Because what it can do is say, oh, gosh, you know, the gold people, they're really structured and organized. Maybe they're too rigid. Well, you don't have the context of the rest of who they are and what they do and what their influencing color is and how you need that in your life because you don't have that. And look at this huge gap you have right here that if you work with them, you guys are going to be so much better together, right? And so when we understand what colors is really all about, it's all about relationships. It's all about how do I work with who I am Find what you have that is such a value to who I am and how can we work together to fill those gaps that we have within our own, you know, spectrums. Yeah, that's, that's good. I guess so, so related to that is what I used to see when I would do and teach the, and facilitate like the disc profiles is my personality was a high D at the time and uh, driver, all that type stuff in. And I would notice that sometimes when I would take the test, I would get pretty, this is me kind of opening up some not so good about my personality, is I would get pretty boastful and, and cocky and arrogant about my profile as if maybe it was better than others. Now, that's an issue I've dealt with, hopefully. And then, and then I also noticed some people would own it maybe a little bit stronger than they should. You address that really well in the book. And you address it, I believe, because of the spiritual aspect that you bring into the book. Can you talk a little bit about that as we, we're starting to get close to our wrap up? This is maybe the first encore before we move to a couple more. But you, because you bring in, in the spiritual aspect to this and, you know, identity and some things like that. Talk about that, because to me, I think that was very important and a great takeaway. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I think there's kind of three edges to this, right? There's the, the who we are versus the how we are. There's the um, how God fills our spectrum. And then, you know, there's the, the other piece of, of kind of understanding. Excuse me. <clears throat> yeah, and, and related to that, I'll even throw in this, you know, what was Jesus? What color would Jesus have been? Yes. Yes. And there's that, right. That other piece that, you know, we're all a spectrum of parts. Right. And, yeah. and so, you know, <laughs> as you call out, you know, what color would Jesus have been? I love that because the answer is a hundred percent of every color, because when we look at who Jesus is, right, he's a hundred percent man and a hundred percent God. Well, in our numbers, those don't work out, you know, but when we understand what that really is and, and what that speaks to, 
It speaks to his completeness, that there's no lack in him, right? And so when we look at our spectrums, and I've got a chart that's actually in the book that kind of shows like mountains, right? And the, the tallest mountain being your greatest color, but it still doesn't go to the top because the total, our total 100% is broken down into percentages across the four colors. So no color can be 100% because no color is zero. So when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is 100% blue, 100% green, 100% gold, and 100% orange. He's literally lacking in nothing and able to fulfill every single part that we lack. So if I am um, 19 in uh, green, you know, 17 orange, you know, nine blue, six gold, or whatever my spectrum is, I have huge gaps in different parts of that. But when I come in and say, God, I surrender, I'm yours, when I go into an environment and I need to use my blue that's maybe only at a nine, I can walk into that confident because it's not my blue that I'm relying on. It's God's blue. And I can walk in there and say, God, you just take control. And I cannot tell you how many times I've seen blue come out of my mouth. I'm not blue, but I watched it happen and I knew it was God's blue. Wow. And there's so much power in that because what it tells us is that I can never be good enough on my own. God built us in personal relationship to be able to kind of come together and fill those gaps. But even together, we're still going to have gaps. It's not until he comes in to fill us that we really become whole. Yeah, we, we have a lot of followers of Christ listening, but probably we have some that may not be. There's a term that we hear called being led by the Spirit. It's kind of a churchy word at times. Mm -hmm. It's scriptural, but it's a churchy word, too. Is that what you just described? Is that a practical application of being led by the Spirit? It absolutely is. It really is. You know, um, so many times we get into an environment and maybe we don't have exactly what we need to be able internally, you know, we haven't had the right, either the right training or the right temperament to be able to meet that other person we're about to do a transaction with at the right level. But when we surrender and say, God, I want you to work through me, that literally leads us and, and there are and there are so many times that, you know, we'll speak words. And when we speak them, it's the arrangement of them. It's, it's not what we would originally say. You know, it's not what we would naturally say. Or, or the tone that we use. It's, it's curved. As it comes out of our mouth, we can almost feel it changing. And it hits the person right where they need it, you know. It's, it's, it brings them in. It, feels, it brings us into, them into a safe place so that they can go through that conversation. And it really is really amazing. It is one practical application of that, I would definitely say. Yeah, that's that's so great, Jesse. What if someone were to read this book? What is one thing you would really want them to take away from the book? And then we're going to wrap up with a few questions here. You know that I would say that when you learn to speak color, you're not only setting yourself up for success, but you are becoming part of a community to build other people for success as well. Um, because the more people that can speak color, you can take away false assumptions that um, even if you're holding false assumptions against somebody else, you can come into places of forgiveness because you all of a sudden you understand them. You understand their motives. So often we hold grudges because of things we interpreted were intended, but may have never been. So when we can see what they intend because of how they think, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, all these years I thought that person was mean, or all those years I thought that person was just, you know, the, the class clown, but this is how they think. And I never saw that before. And it will completely open your eyes. You'll never see people the same again. Yeah. And, and I, I think we, I would hope that we could all agree that that is what 
our world <laughs> needs more of yeah. now. So anyway, well, thank you for thank you for writing the book. I enjoyed it. I highly recommend people get that. So how can they find the book? How can they connect with you if that's one in the same or if you want to give us some of your coordinates? Go ahead and tell us now. We'll include it in the notes also. Absolutely. So you can reach me and all the things I'm doing, including uh, links to the book on my website, which is jessieleeperez.com. Jessie's with an I-E. Um, so that's one way. Also, you know, the book's really available anywhere books are sold online. Um, and there's a few bookstores um, that also sell it in local areas. Um, Only Virginia has one called Bookbin, and there's a few others. Um, but yeah, if you just go to Jessie, J-E-S-S-I-E, Lee, L-E-E, Perez.com, then you'll have a link to the book um, as well as any way to contact me, reach out to me. Um, even if you just have questions, I'm, I'm very um, available. Good. Thank you for that, Jesse. We'll include that down in the notes. What's next for you, Jesse? Well, I am not one to sit still, as you can probably tell. <laughs> so, um, you know, I started breaking into a, a new space within the space. So um, I'm actually working on a Bible study that explores the colors of the people in the Bible. And so I really think this is important because, you know, we do so many Bible studies, um, or there's so many Bible studies available, and, you know, we, we pick different ones because of different reasons. Um, but what I really believe that this can bring that I have never seen in a Bible study before is the temperament exploration of the people in the Bible. And the reason I think that's important is because when we come to understand them at a more personal level, we can connect and relate to them in ways that bring the reading of the text into a much more intimate space. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I'm like, I'm connected to that person instead of just being a name that I'm reading in a group of texts about Jesus. But there's like, these people interacted with him. He worked with them. He worked through them. Some of the things they did were really bad. Some of the things they did were really good. And some of the things were in the middle and it was just their story. But when we come to know them as a person and not just a name in a book, it completely like opens up the Bible in a new way to us. Wow. So when, when can we expect that? When's that coming? So, <laughs> Fiddle pressure you sound very, you sound like when you decide, you decide. So when's it coming out? It's true. And I actually don't have the definitive date, but I am looking at the spring of next year. Um, and so I'm hoping that um, we should have something available in uh, at least an electronic form by spring. Excellent. So that would be spring, depending on when people are listening, spring of 2021, I'm That's guessing, right. which in some ways seems like forever, but it'll probably be clicking along and be here soon. That's right. The title of our show is Seek, Go, Create, Jesse three words there. We, we always like to wrap up by asking which one of those words resonates the most with you and why? I would definitely have to say seek, you know, as I said earlier, like I am a lifetime learner. I highly, you know, just support and value the growth that when we seek into something, what it can bring. And like the Lord tells us to seek him and like the greatest thing that's has ever happened to me is to truly seek the Lord. And so that word stands out the most. Yeah. I like that too. So Jesse, thank you for joining us on the, uh, on the show, on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know the audience, the one listening definitely enjoyed this also and hopeful that they're able to go pick up the book. 
I encourage you to join us next week when we interview someone who has really created a phenomenal community. I am so impressed with people that are able to create strong communities in the world that we're in today. Communities where at one point people were meeting face to face, but now they're in the digital environment and next week's guest has been able to do such a great job of that. So make sure you sure that you join us. If you're listening and would like to continue the conversation, we encourage and welcome that. As we mentioned at the beginning, go to seekgocreate.com to comment on the episode post, contact us there. You could visit the site, give us your best email, like I said, and you'll never miss an episode. And you'll also be able to take advantage of bonuses and giveaways. You can also find us and communicate on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. All of those places we are Seek go create. Thank you again for joining us. We look forward to connecting with you on the Seek Go Create podcast in the near future.